wait a minute. I thought all you did was kill innocent people. Innocent? Is that supposed to be funny? An obese man? A disgusting man who could barely stand up? A man who, if you saw him on the street, you'd point him out to your friends so that they could join you in mocking him? A man who, if you saw him while you were eating, you wouldn't be able to finish your meal? And after him, I picked the lawyer, and you both must have secretly been thanking me for that one. This is a man who dedicated his life to making money by lying with every breath that he could muster to keeping murderers and rapists on the streets. Murderers. A woman. Murderers, John, like a yourself. Woman. So ugly on the inside that she couldn't bear to go on living if she couldn't be beautiful on the outside. A, a drug dealer, a, a drug dealing pederast, actually. And let's not forget the disease spreading whore. Only in a world this shitty. Could you even try to say these were innocent people and keep a straight face? But that's the point. We see a deadly sin on every street corner, in every home, and we tolerate it. We tolerate it because it's common. It's, it's trivial. We tolerate it morning, noon, and night. Well, not anymore. I'm setting the example. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 147. I just watched it again today. Every time I get done watching this movie, I'm just like, man, Seven is just like such a great movie. And you kind of like, you're always like, yeah, I really like Seven. And it's kind of like culturally significant in pop culture. But every time I watch it, I'm just like, this is such a great, well-executed movie. As you get older, you get afraid that you're going to just turn into like one of those people. Right. Like, oh, things used to be better. But movies do seem like they used to be better. I do it's agree. It's hard to imagine that we would get a movie like Seven now. Well, we talked about pacing a lot in the other movie. I think the pacing is like perfect in this movie. At every turn, it's like I'm not really expecting it. Even when I know what happens, I'm just like, wow, it's kind of crazy that they have this action sequence in the middle of this. Or the dude, when he shows up at the police station, you're not really ready for him to do it. Everything just kind of comes out of nowhere and works perfectly. So Seven was released in 1995. Which I would also add, the look of it, I, I mean, it doesn't look like anything else that came out in 95. It looks so sleek and like so, to me, the look still works as if it just came out, I don't know, maybe not right now, but like 10 years ago. Yeah, definitely has a timeless quality to it the way they shot it was really interesting and unique they wanted it to look a certain way yeah i mean fincher's kind of got like the patented fincher look so yeah directed by david fincher 
we touched on him last episode because of his involvement with, with Alien 3, which was his first feature film, and that went so terribly. Prior to Alien 3, he had only done music videos for, I don't know, over a decade. You used to really have to put in your time, pay your dues. As a music video director. As, as just a director yeah. in general. Right. Mick G. There were guys like Jonathan Demme who made like 10 movies before they were like, all right, we're going to trust him with something like Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah. Like, you really had to put in time, and now you direct one somewhat well-received indie, yeah. and you're given a Marvel just like, movie or a Star Wars movie. You're going to your own Star Wars trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> we wanted to do seven for a lot of reasons. A, because it's awesome, and B, because we were going to do it eventually. But C, because we had to bring up Fincher's horrible time with Alien 3 and oh, yeah. what a disaster that all turned into. And he redeems himself very quickly with seven. A movie that really re-interests him in doing a, f- a feature film again. Oh, because yeah. after Alien 3, he didn't want to even be involved. He and didn't happy read scripts. He did. I mean, he's one of the greatest ones out there for me. It's mostly great movies that he makes, I think. Yeah, I would agree. I wish he was a little bit more prolific these days. He seems to be taking his time yeah. doing different things. Producing Netflix series. Yeah, he's. I think he directed four episodes of the first season of Mindhunter, and I think he's doing two or three of season two but he's got a couple of things on the docket unfortunately one of them is this sequel to world war z which may or may not Uh, ever happen because i know it got spun around again and they might not be doing it but he was involved with that because of brad pitt who he first worked with on seven before we go any farther let's remind our listeners to follow the show on twitter at greatest pod subscribe on itunes or apple podcasts rate and review i think it's time that we announce What's happening in June? We've wow, waited long enough. Wow, I didn't enough. know this was coming. All right, let's do it. Well, we're getting well, close. Hell yeah, I guess we are already mostly through May. Everyone knows in October we do the greatest October in the history of forever. It's all horror-themed episodes. Everyone's favorite time of the year. <laughs> Especially yours. Yep. It really is, though. I know I talk about it all the time, but I do love when we get to October and do horror movies. They work so well for the show, I feel like. So without revealing any specific titles that we're going to cover... We have decided that the month of June will be called One Trashy Summer. That's right. And we're going to focus Another on name. fun, trashy movies. Yes, which also are up our alley. Yeah. Very cool-themed episode. I, I don't know. There might be... I've been thinking about maybe yeah. doing a special intro music for it. We're going to do Showgirls again. <laughs> Definitely yeah. in that vain but a whole month dedicated to fun trashy movies one trashy summer coming shortly in june should be fun so that'll be our theme thing i don't necessarily think that'll be something we do every year we'll see how it goes yeah i don't know if there's enough to sustain us i'm sure we can find more yeah yeah there is but i mean i know that people get a little bummed out when we start getting like really obscure yeah and when we pigeonhole ourselves into like one you know style (laughs) Anyway, so that's something to look forward to. Big summer coming. Absolutely. Although, I mean, you know, people shouldn't complain too much. It's like we just did Alien and now we're doing fucking Seven. So. Oh, yeah. Two monster hits, I think. <laughs> was Seven a hit? I would think it was, right? Oh, yeah. It was a, I mean, it Brad was Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow, what was this, 97? 95. 95. I mean, Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow, 95? Are you yeah. kidding me? She was just like a baby. Yeah. I mean, she was like 22 or something when they filmed this. Right. But, I mean, just Oof. an inspiration to girls around the world. <laughs> She's so Gwyneth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's so Gwyneth. She is Gwyneth. Right. 
Yeah, they were dating, I believe. And yeah. she initially had zero interest in being in this. And then wow. Fincher was like, well, Come hey, on, Brad, talk to your lady, yeah. get her to be in this. I don't know why. It's not like she was like a huge star either by 95. Well, maybe she just knew, you know, she might have read the whole script and was like, I'm not that into where this is headed. <laughs> well, she doesn't even have to do anything. She's not even in the scene. It is dark, though. Well, yeah. Denzel Washington turned down the role of Mills because he thought it was, like, too dark wow, and yeah. evil. And then once he saw the movie, he said he regretted it. Yeah, I mean, Morgan Freeman, is it's kind of the perfect Morgan Freeman role, right? Well, he was for Mills. Oh, he was going to be for yeah. Mills. Yeah, okay. I don't know if they had a summer set at that I point. Guess Denz- I guess I'm picturing Denzel being older. I forget that you this is 95. You just thought because they were both black. Eh. Be honest. <laughs> I think Stallone at one point was offered wow. Mills, which would have been very strange. Yeah. He would have been playing more like a Copland version of Mills. Let's be honest. Stallone, as an actor, has only really been great in Rocky and Copland. I'm not seeing <laughs> Stallone having like the charisma that Pitt brings to this performance. Yeah, it's a very he's very Brad like, Pitt role. Yeah, he's like very fiery and kind of like yelling and going off the handle at all fucking turns. So Seven was written by a guy named Andrew Kevin Walker, who just so happens yes. to be from Altoona. I used to follow him on Twitter, actually. Oh, wow. How about that? What's he been up to lately? I don't know. It's been a while since I've checked in. Well, his big three beyond Seven, which I think is his biggest, were Sleepy Hollow, yep. 8 Millimeters, and Panic Room. Okay, so I can get behind that. Panic Room, also directed by Fincher. Yeah, and he I guess he did some uncredited work on the Fight Club script as okay. well. Okay, all right. Got called in to do some touch-ups. Yeah. Brad Pitt stars in the movie as Detective Mills, and he was coming off of the cheesy Legends of the Fall, which established him as a movie star. Yeah. And he was really going up the charts in terms of what people considered to be a star at the time. For people, sure. The recognizable Well, he definitely has star face. quality on like another level than but most. This was, I think, an attempt to go in a completely different direction, something gritty and dark but it's always a battle i think with some of these guys to establish themselves as a real actor instead of just a movie star just a pretty face and so this movie which fincher sees as this meditation on evil goes through new line cinema we talked about new line cinema with a nightmare on elm street and that was like the movie that established it as a credible studio but a decade later, here we are with Seven, and they still weren't working in the space of big stars. Yeah. Big stars, big directors, big movies. Right. And Seven changed their perception yet again, kind of like A Nightmare on Elm Street did as far as establishing it as a real studio. This was like, now we can operate in that universe of having big stars come in and have a movie that's taken seriously with a real director, even though, as we mentioned, this was only Fincher's second feature and yep. Alien 3 was a disaster, but... It just had that quality to it. It was such a good movie yeah, yeah. that people instantly took the studio way more seriously. New Line, though, as is always the story, <laughs> wanted a different ending. Oh, boy. Yep. They wanted a more traditional ending, a more traditional detective story ending. People always are the unable to see. The ending is one of the things that makes this movie stand apart from so <laughs> of many. Of course. Yeah. It's a brilliant, genius ending that... Only a few movies even get into the same universe of something on this scale that's this dark. When I say that movies used to be better in a different time, I just don't think a big studio movie like this would have this kind of an ending now. Right. People would be upset because we live in the time of pussies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be 
you could handle a dark ending and now I, I just I don't know I mean that's why a lot of the movies that we go see I walk away feeling like just zero impact from I was like wow yeah. that was like a nothing experience for me because a lot of these movies are tied up so nicely like a bow at the end that you're just like okay well that was a movie I guess give me it, like an Ingrid goes west you know it started as a happy accident because they sent Fincher the original script by accident. Oh, wow. They meant to send him a script with the changed ending. And so the first time Fincher read this script, he read the original ending yep. and loved it. And New Line was fighting him all the way. It was probably flashbacks to his experiences yeah. on Alien 3. And thankfully, Brad Pitt steps in and gets the original ending to be the one they use oh, wow. because he wouldn't have done the movie without it. There you go. Now, let's talk a little bit about the location of Seven, which is left vague On purpose, and unknown. Right? It's just supposed to be any city USA. Yeah. The idea often brought up throughout the movie is comparing city versus the country. Basically, like Brad Pitt and his wife, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow, have relocated from the country to the city, and Morgan Freeman is trying to be in the process of doing the opposite. Right. It was based off of Walker's time spent living in New York City. It definitely has a New York City vibe. By the time I always get thought the- for some reason it was like Detroit. Yeah, Chicago maybe. <laughs> <laughs> they actually filmed most of this in California, yeah. but you wouldn't it's know. It's raining the whole time, which really has an effect on like the whole mood and tone. Yeah, it's just epic bleakness on yeah. a scale that you usually don't see. Relentless rain. The city is a cesspool of crime. It's almost Gotham right. City pre-Batman. Yeah, yeah. Mostly night in the movie, or at the very least gray well, because of the rain. You, the location does get you thinking, though, because you're just like, well, how many cities are located like this close to what appears to be the desert? <laughs> you know? Yeah, especially since they get there so quickly because they leave at 6 and then right. it's 7 by the time they're there. Anyway, that's at the end. Yep. So soon-to-be-retired Somerset, played by Morgan Freeman. Rookie Mills, played by Brad Pitt. A little bit of an introduction at some crime scene that is unrelated to A little bit of a lethal weapon type team here. (laughs) Yeah. The opening credits are also pretty cool, and this would begin that tradition of David Fincher films to have really interesting, cool opening credits. And would start, I guess, his relationship with Trent Reznor because they use... A remix of Closer by Nine Inch Nails. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't put you that can together. Almost vaguely tell, not until like the end, that that's what it is. Wow, but okay. Yeah. yeah, it is stuff taken from Closer. The use of those disturbing notebooks being put together. Right. Just looks really cool. Did you have the cool seven DVD that came in like one of those notebook things and was one of those deluxe looking? I packages? can't remember. I definitely awesome. had seven on DVD. I don't think I had that though. Yeah, there was like the cool special edition one that was like in like a notebook like that. Just was. It's really hard to even sweet. remember now. I don't think I did. I did have like a lot of those type things. Like I had like the Apocalypse Now like dossier one. Yeah. The um oh what was Christopher Nolan Memento like yeah the, Mementos was cool the file or whatever yeah 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 a lot of cool DVD stuff out absolutely there back in the day. So Gwyneth Paltrow plays Mills's wife Tracy. As I mentioned, she was like 22, 23 at the time. Just, Just so pretty. True beauty, yeah. <laughs> Disturbingly pretty. Right. <laughs> They're both new to the city. It sets up with what essentially is a seven-day trial of Mills with Somerset because Somerset is about to retire. Yeah. This fits into that whole meme of like 
<laughs> the guy that's about to retire, right. you know everything's going to go wrong. And it's a, a movie trope. I don't know that it would be like a practical thing in an actual detective force where they would do this. It's just like, why don't you just give me a partner that's going to be like my partner? Yeah, and their whole connection to each other and to the case itself is very tenuous and vague at times throughout the movie. Sure. Because Somerset is clearly taken off the case at one point. Right. And then now you don't really ever see him reinstated, I don't think. He just starts working he it anyway. He can't stay away. He needs to help Mills here. Their sergeant or whoever is in charge of them is Arlie Ermy. Yeah. In what? a f- fun role. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this I, I, isn't even my desk. <laughs> hangs up the phone. Yeah, that is a great part. But <laughs> I do think that what happens with the Somerset going away is like, they find the first body and Somerset's like pushing the notion that it's like this is going to be a serial killer thing. But I think for the second body, Mills is just he caught one, as they would say in The Wire. Well, yeah, because they don't know it's all connected. Right. So because they missed some of the clues with the first one. OK, but I'm getting a little ahead. The whole premise of the movie is basically a meditation on evil. But one of the themes is controlling your emotions, being stoic and calm versus being held prisoner by them instead and giving into your emotions at all times. And the relationship between those two, how those two forces counteract against each other, and then living in a corrupted world, being able to take advantage of someone who wears their emotions on their sleeve. (laughs) And also like the dichotomy between like the optimist hero versus the sort of more jaded, yeah, experienced, beaten down, right, worn out accepting of the way things are in order to go through this movie it's kind of complicated there's a lot of little things that connect and clues and the order of things is weird but we'll kind of keep it organized by the seven deadly sins themselves and we'll go through things in as close to the right order as we can but sometimes as i said i mean they catch this first murder the gluttony murder and they don't really know yet right what all the connections are to things and it takes a little time to figure that out So they go to this first murder. Mills is talking way too much, won't shut up. He's so annoying at times. This is just like that part in Point Break when Keanu Reeves first shows up. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Some of the places they go to in this movie are just so grim, so horrible and shitty looking. I I can say, when I first saw this movie, which was probably like 97 or 98, like I was pretty young when I first saw this, and I was definitely not the movie buff that I am now. (laughs) (laughs) braggart right (laughs) but it was definitely like one of the first times where i was like wow this is a really cool movie you know what i mean like i was like this is different than most movies that i watch Uh but i can also say that it was at a point in my life where it made me be like wow i never want to live in a city cities are scary yeah well this city is like insane right (laughs) they emphasize it even by things that you don't see by having characters talk about things that have happened yes you're just like what is going on well it's it's definitely like a watchman-esque city and the villain certainly has almost a rorschach type feel at times yeah and that's why it makes sense to keep the location unknown because it's definitely somewhere that doesn't quite exist but the fear would be that i guess this is where we were headed yeah so the first guy is this fat man found dead face in a bowl of spaghetti oh yeah right and they see that his wrists are bound together, his feet are bound together. He's like attached to the chair in some way. He's it's just this enormous disgusting. guy. Yeah. There's piss and shit everywhere. And basically, it seems like he ate until he burst. Yeah. And they're not sure at first if this is a homicide or not, but 
it definitely the, seems the sketchy. stuff bound together. Yeah. It seems like he was forced at gunpoint to continue eating. They're not really sure what the fuck is going on. They have to take him over to the morgue, the autopsy place, and it's the dude Carcetti's advisor from yeah. The Wire. He also plays a homeless man in American Psycho. Oh, wow. <laughs> but anyway, almost immediately, Somerset understands Something's that he's dealing with here. something yeah. big here because he knows that the act itself has meaning. This is not a crime of passion. This is not somebody killing spur of the moment. This is insanely methodical and planned out. Yeah. This killer had so much patience to wait for this to play out the way that he wanted it to. Right. When, obviously, if he just wanted to kill a human, it would just take... A second. And I like the way that they play this here where we don't get the reveal of the word, the sin, right. until after the second one. Yes. Understanding what this is, Somerset wants to be taken off of it, but his boss refuses to. Mills taking this all a little personally. Mills is pissed. Somerset doesn't even want Mills involved with it. Mills happens to get put to the next body they catch, which is defense attorney Eli Gould. High profile. It's on TV. This murder catches much more mainstream press attention. Shaft himself, Richard Roundtree, is like the DA, I guess. And greed is written in blood on the floor. The details of this particular murder are pretty gruesome, and we don't get them all right away. But eventually it was like a reference to Merchant of Venice with the... Oh, yeah, that's right. Pound of flesh being removed. Should be mentioned, our killer is, he likes to be a little clever, you know? (laughs) Well, yeah, that's a huge part of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) So between these first two murders, which they don't initially connect, we start to see the beginnings of these puzzle pieces and this trail. Somerset gets alerted by the coroner that there were pieces of plastic or something found in the stomach of the fat man. And they say, like, well, it appears as if he was forced to eat them. So he goes back to the crime scene. He eventually figures out that they were tile, pieces of tile, yep. taken from the floor that got ripped up when the refrigerator was moved. And so he moves the refrigerator, and he finds the word gluttony in written Greece. on the wall yeah. in Greece. This is after he already knew about greed written in blood. Right. His reaction is kind of hilarious, although dark, where he's just like, oh, Lord. Yeah. Because <laughs> he knows immediately... That something is afoot. Oh, boy, This yeah. is bigger than this would they were anticipating. Yeah. I mean, you know, and he's a well-read guy. We know this resonates with him immediately, the seven deadly sins. Right. The seven deadly sins obviously emanate from Catholicism and, and the Bible and religion, but have been written about extensively by all of these different writers, including Dante, which also is referenced in, like, The House That Jack Built. Right. Also is the <laughs> a movie namesake of, that I'm sure everyone has seen. <laughs> the namesake of the main character in Clerks was also taken from Dante. <laughs> anyway, there's a note in addition to the word gluttony. The note says, long is the way and hard that out of hell leads up to light. It's written by Milton from Paradise Lost. Somerset immediately sees this connection. He understands what is happening. He's piecing it together. This is not good. He knows there's seven deadly sins. He knows there's at least five. He says this is the beginning. This is strangely coinciding with my retirement schedule. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> he's reluctant, but basically unable to stop himself from getting involved. He's going to the library and doing all that research. He's trying to help Mills. He understands that this is being dumped into Mills's lap. I don't think that he necessarily dislikes Mills, but he considers yeah. him to be... I think, right, finds him a little annoying. 
Obviously, Mills is going to be in over his head here with something sure. this elaborate. But as they're working together, Tracy calls and invites Somerset over for supper. Important scene. I feel like, you know, this. Yeah, this gives character development to closer the three together. Of them. Yeah. Establishes a backstory as to what's going on with Tracy and Detective Mills. It kind of makes Mills more likable, too. It makes both of the characters more likable. Yeah. Because they've been standoffish. You kind of are like, what's wrong with Somerset? He's kind of a bit of a curmudgeon here, but you're also kind of annoyed by Mills. So this yeah. is the uh, coming together. Somerset is a bachelor. He's hinting at maybe a little bit of a haunted past. Sure. Tracy and Mills having a hard time settling in, and it turns out like they were duped into buying the place they bought because oh, it's like a vibrating home. <laughs> yeah. Boy, was this familiar to you at all from our old apartment? Ours at least wasn't like too bad. And Violently shaking. <laughs> I eventually got to the point where I, like, I, I liked it and was used to it. It was just <laughs> part of my it. life. Yeah. My room at least was on the other side. Oh, that's true. If I ever tried to sleep with like the window open, it was just like, forget it. <laughs> Gould, as I mentioned, lost a pound of flesh. It's uh, another literary reference to Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice. They're reviewing the clues. And there's actually a lot of clues in Gould's office. Yeah. There's a the lot picture of with stuff the wife. going on. Yeah. You have to do a lot to get to right. the final clue. Yeah. Well, sort uh, okay. of like the scavenger hunts in Gone Girl. Yeah, we're going to get to that. So. <laughs> There's blood glasses drawn onto a picture of Gould's wife. Right. And at first, they're like, it's taking them a while to even recognize any significance to this. Like, what does this mean? They decide that it means that she could see something. Yeah. Or has seen something. They decide to show his wife pictures of the crime scene, which is kind of a rough scene. Somewhat insensitive. Yeah. But she provides the next step, which is recognizing that one of the paintings in the office was upside down. So they take the painting off the wall. Eventually, they fingerprint. They find fingerprints in the shape of the words, help me. Yeah, and I actually love this scene, the way it's shot. It kind of, like, starts close and, like, backs away where the guy is, like, doing whatever his thing is underneath the black light, like, revealing the handprints. And then it kind of, like, pulls back to our two characters. And Mills is just like, have you ever seen anything like this? And fucking Somerset's just like, no. <laughs> so we know we're in for something here. This specifically might be on a scale of which the world had not fully seen, but it's not uncommon for a serial killer to ba- essentially masturbate for the world to see. Sure. So clearly, he has left things because he wants the police to be able to put Follow these the things trail, together. Yeah. Because it's walking this fine line, because we understand that this serial killer is smart enough to not get caught if he doesn't want to. Right. That he would not leave any clues, and these victims are so random and unconnected, no one would be able to put piece this together. So he has to leave enough there yep. so that they can follow his trail, yet not get even caught. get close right. to figuring out who he is. Because he wants them to know, he wants this to be recognized, and he wants the world to see his work. Yes. And that's an essential part of this character in this movie because he has some master plan that he needs to reveal to the world. Now, the last two parts of his whole plan, how much was open for improv as this was going to unfold? Well, I have some thoughts about that, but we're we're not there there yet. Okay, (laughs) right. It couldn't have all been predetermined. Well. Not exactly. I don't know. Okay. Because we never know anything about who this guy is and where he came from. Yeah. So the... Prints are matched to a guy named Victor, a.k.a. Theodore Allen, which I always think is funny. 
it's very criminal-esque slash criminal in movies-esque yeah. to have these just random, unrelated... It's like, his name's real name's Theodore Allen. He goes by Victor. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, sometimes you want to disassociate with your name. This stuff reminds me a lot of Silence of the Lambs because of the whole thing with like the clues and the names going to that... Yeah storage unit place right. on the head it's I like know, yeah. how is this all connected i You're do like think victor going on this journey here has a little bit better aura to it than theodore victor sounds like a cool dude yeah but i'm just saying like how are they even related right. his names yeah, like I where know. did this come from it turns out that our man victor is a bit of a pedophile oh boy drug dealer lifelong criminal but very I mean, granted, attempted rape of a minor is a horrible crime, but sure. But small scale shit, not not some super genius, evil okay, genius right. mastermind guy. So Somerset's not buying this immediately, and I think logically, even the viewer has to realize, well, this can't be it. The killer is not going to put his own fingerprints yeah, in the as help me. Guy. Yeah. This whole sequence, though, going to Victor's apartment, the SWAT team. Oh, yeah. John C. McKinley involved. Right. Playing a guy named California, which is weird. <laughs> this is an escalation and an action vibe to this whole thing. Oh, yeah. And on the way there, Mills tells a story of firing his gun. Right. And not only does this work as heavy foreshadowing as to what will happen later in the film, and it's also indicative of his emotions and his inability to rein them in. Sure. Not necessarily because it was unjustified in the context of his story. If we believe what he's saying, it seems like it was possibly a justified thing to do. Yeah. However, his inability to even remember the name of the person that he killed is interesting. And he's all Bradley Cooper in Place Beyond the Pines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it makes me wonder a little bit as to whether or not Mills has been targeted from the start. Could be. If that's why... This is taking place here. Right. Because like you said, in order to make the last steps of the plan work, you would have to Certain think... Certain things need to line up. Now, that theory doesn't necessarily hold up when you put it to, under the microscope of every detail yeah. that we learn. Because as we're going to find out with number three, Sloth, here in a oh, second, yeah. this was planned out for... Quite a while. A year in advance. And Mills hasn't been working in this city for a year. Right. We'll worry we'll about build the, the plan it. here in a minute. Yeah. This Some is, of the stuff gets switched because of something that happens later. You want to talk about the things that stuck with me after I saw this movie the first time? I mean, this really made me feel uneasy for a while, where this scene is headed. Oh, yeah. This is one of the most disturbing sure. scenes imaginable. Yeah. And then even what they tell you about it afterwards, you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's really Doesn't fucking dark. Possible? Yeah. They go to this apartment building. It's just another shitty, horrible, rundown place. Right. How borderline condemned why wouldn't the city shut this down they break into this apartment there's a million air fresheners hanging yeah. from the ceiling and all over it is the like ground quite a shot yeah it's really cool looking it's just so different and unlike what you would expect from this type of movie yeah yeah good morning sweetheart get up now motherfucker now Get up, you sack of shit. <coughs> oh, fuck me. Dex! You wanna come take a look at this? Dex! 
Niners. The fuck is this? Versus be more like it. Also for What's going on here, California, Sarge? get your people out of here. Come on now, go! No one touches anything! Some kind of friggin' wax sculpture or something. Exactly one year ago today. I got a hair sample, I got a stool sample, I got piss, I got fingernails. He's laughing at us. You got what you deserved. <coughs> He's alive! He's alive! The cocksucker's alive! Stop it! Come down! Emergency on that ambulance! <coughs> Mills finds the Polaroids. This all started a year ago. There's a guy strapped to a bed. Right. He appears to be dead and after I, being tortured and John tied C, to this bed for forever. You know, John C. McGinley is kind of a ridiculous character actor. He's very, like, boisterous, very, like, recognizable performances. Yeah. You know, but I do love the way he's also reacting. Also in Point Break. Yep. <laughs> and great in it. But I love the way he's reacting in this scene. He's just like can't believe it he's like that's not a real body yeah. basically like just in complete shock victor tied to the bed just looks like a monster or something and then when he leans in mckinley and the reveal of victor still being alive oh, is yeah. just one of the scariest things ever right you're just like uh, holy fuck i know talk about jump scares i didn't even see this in the theater like on tv when it, yeah. the most unexpected thing ever, the body just starts coughing. I mean, it looks like a skeleton. It looks like the Tales from the Crypt Keeper dude. Or the Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, I think they cast a guy that was like 96 pounds, and Fincher had wanted someone who was 90 pounds. And so he joked to the guy about losing some weight, and then the guy lost six more pounds to oh, weigh 90. Wow. <laughs> That's not the worst of it. 14 hours of makeup. makeup. Oh, boy. Can you imagine 14 hours for yeah. this? I'd be like, well, you better get it all in one day because sure. we're not doing this again, right. that's for sure. But just, I mean, talk about, like, most unexpected moments ever for me. This body just start coughing, and you're just like, what? And, I mean, it's definitely like the characters within the movie are certainly reacting appropriately. <laughs> like, holy shit! Yeah, it's something similar to what we talked about last week in the Alien episode. Yeah. And the idea in Alien and, and Prometheus, even, those moments that make the movie because there's like these big set piece moments and if your big set piece memorable moments work right then the rest becomes a lot easier now this is a well-written well-directed well-plotted well-shot movie that works on so many levels however these set piece moments are so wild and memorable and the sloth one oh god i mean it's just so scary and gross sure so victor technically still alive tied up to this bed Doped up repeatedly, bed sores, malnourished. He was even given penicillin to fight the bed sores. Just kept alive. Well, His thing. brain I mean, is turned to mush. They have this right, and when that's actually the quote from the movie, which yeah. is just like, I just remember that disturbing. Chewed off so his much. own tongue. Oh. Well, that's the thing because the cops are basically asking the doctor if they're going to be able to question this guy. Yeah, and the doctor just basically is like laughing in their faces. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? They're like, he's definitely going to die. 
and his brain is shot to hell and he can't talk because of his tongue. Ugh. And the doctor's like, and he still has hell to look forward to. Wow. Which is a hilarious line. Yeah, yeah. The thing and kind that, of inappropriate by that doctor, I would say. No. Not very professional. Well, I think the characters are giving an appropriate level of recognition to the attempted rape of a minor. Sure. I get that. Yeah. 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 So at least there's that. While they're in the apartment trying to figure out what's going on, a photographer approaches them up the stairs. Now, the first time you see this movie, you probably aren't thinking much of this sequence here. For other sure. than it shows another Mills outburst of anger. Right. But if you look closely and pay attention, you can tell you can tell who yeah, yeah. it is and where this is all going to go later. It's certainly a good reveal, and it feels sort of like throwaway and harmless when it happens. You yeah, know? it feels yeah, just and you another can justify scene. the moment because it's like, well, this is clearly showing yeah, yeah. Mills being a- angry and out of which control. which we've already seen like a few times. Yeah. so it just feels par for the course. Tracy calls Somerset out of the blue. She wants to meet up and talk. They go to this diner. She reveals like how she's really having a, a tough time. Somerset is just like, I'm the guy? Yeah, like he's like, not really sure what's going she's on She's like, here. well, I haven't met anybody else. Just really kind of dark. She reveals that she's pregnant, and she gets this story from Somerset, who conveniently has a story about something like this, and yep. talks about his fear and the woman he had been with who was pregnant decided not to keep the baby. I remember getting up one morning and going to work. Just another day like any other, except it was the first day after I knew about pregnancy. And I felt this fear for the first time ever. I remember thinking, how can I bring a child into a world like this? How can, how can a person grow up with all this around them? I told her I didn't want to have it. And over the next few weeks, I wore her down. I want to have children. I can tell you now that I'm, I know, (laughs) I'm positive that I made the right decision. But there's not a day that passes that I don't wish that I made a different choice. If you don't keep the baby, I mean, if that's your decision, don't ever tell them that you were pregnant. But if you choose to have this baby, you spoil that kid every chance you get. I will say that Gwyneth looks particularly stunning in this scene. Wow, yeah. Just off the charts. <laughs> in her just sort of distressed vibe that she's putting out. Yeah, well, I like that more played down yeah, look. Yeah, I'm with you. It Not is sort overly of a weird up. thing to introduce that she's pregnant and she's having a conversation about whether or not she wants to keep the baby with her husband's co-worker. Yeah. Well, they needed her to reveal this pregnancy. Yep, in in a way that he doesn't know about it, Mills. Yeah, he can't know about it, and they don't want to have... I mean, if they're writing in, like, more characters right. just for that scene, it would felt probably felt even more ridiculous. Like, yeah. why are we wasting time with this? Right. So Later on, Somerset was like, was there ever a baby? 
And she was like, there can be. And patted the bed. <laughs> the next portion of the film always slides right by me without really, you know, this whole thing oh, with yeah. the FBI connection and the library books. Some and the of this stuff was starting stuff. to feel like some of the police procedural stuff was making me like feel like the wire a little bit watching it. You know, yeah. the, the strange FBI connection. So, yeah, basically Somerset's got this guy who's like an FBI connection. He's able to talk to him about books that were flagged because the FBI secretly has been keeping track it, of this. I will this. say one of the things that is fun about this scene in this discussion around like what they're doing is the fact that all of this occurred pre-Patriot Act. Right. You Six years I mean? later, everything that they do here would be par for the course and completely legal right. because of the Patriot yeah, Act. Yeah. But at the time... I guess it seemed very questionable. That's the thing with the Patriot Act, though. You're just like, they were doing this stuff anyway. I mean, this had to come from somewhere. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm sure this was happening. So they cross reference some books, Seven Deadlies, different things like that. You right. know, yeah. what's, what are they looking for? They, they narrow it down to this guy who's conveniently named Jonathan Doe, and they go to his apartment. Yeah. They're knocking on his door, no one's answering. As they're doing this, a man is returning with some groceries and just sees them. Somerset points him out that the guy has stopped in the middle of the hall, and then he just starts firing on them. This is such a great, thrilling sequence in a, and this is what I was alluding to at the beginning of the show, where it's just like you're kind of not really expecting this to happen. They're not even really that confident that they're like going to get anything out of this. Oh yeah, this is just they're following up on a name, and so they're very like kind of casually at the door. And the dude just like happens to show up and it just like opens fire and it leads to like this long chase sequence that ends with like a crowbar to the face of right. Brad Pitt. But it's such a like the way the movie's being paced and like going along and they're just like going from these crime scene to crime scene and like putting these clues together and then all of a sudden you're just like thrown into like this chase sequence. And there's this, like a lot of panic on Somerset's side in it as soon as like Mills starts to chase, you know? Right. Well, this is the first time that they were one step ahead of the killer. Right. And that guy, who we don't know yet, John Doe, is caught off guard. Sure. He was not expecting it. Right. Because I guess in his mind, he would not have thought about the books being able to be cross-referenced right. or whatever. Especially since... It didn't necessarily seem as if they would be books that would necessarily get the FBI's attention. They were just specific books that Somerset was looking for. As you mentioned, this leads to this long shootout chase sequence, expertly shot. Mills is pursuing, going through the apartment building, outside, back inside, through different apartments. Then it ends up in that alley. And it plays with a lot of suspense because... It keeps stopping at certain points where the villain is stopping and like shooting back at him as he's coming around corners. Yeah. So like at any moment, it kind of feels like he could go around a corner and like get shot. It ends with John Doe getting the upper hand in an alley, and he's got his gun to Mills's head, but he chooses not to kill him. Sure. So this sequence ended with Mills getting a little injured. I think Brad Pitt actually hurt his hand or something and needed surgery. Oh wow! Which kind of got worked into the script then and i believe that john doe got injured as well wow well he's like limping right okay at one point through the thing and then when they go to that leather place later the guy talks about him having a limp okay so i think he's supposed to have gotten hurt during this yeah all right i don't know if he's supposed to have been shot though I, i don't know when i was watching this earlier at this part when John Doe is standing over Mills, you start to hear Somerset yell out Mills' name. 
And I was thinking, is it possible that this is where John Doe is able to like get a name for this person and incorporate him into the plan? Or, you know, was it all well before this? Well, he had the picture. He took the picture of him. Yeah. You trace people by a picture, though? Well, he references specifically the information that he bought as a quote member of the press okay yeah, remember he says right. it at the end okay how easy yep. that was yeah that's right that was what i was going to bring up we were talking about whether or not mills was targeted whether or not the plan had remained the same the convenience of everything working out specifically the last two sins on the list and i do think that because mills and somerset show up at his apartment it throws a monkey wrench into his plans right. because he calls the apartment later and then talks to him sure. and he talks about speeding things up right and it does seem like he may improvise the last two steps of his plan like maybe the envy and wrath things were supposed to be different yeah and then because of their police work he had to make an adjustment on the fly could be there's some certainly left to speculation yeah i mean it does seem that the way that he put the new plan together would trump everything originally by yeah he's a like this percent. was better yeah it's like when we talk about these scripts and what movies are supposed to be like and then they're like because of the circumstances they had to change but it's better right sometimes the most perfect things just accidentally fall into place right. back at this apartment after this whole chase, chase <laughs> right. sequence unbelievable I, set design yeah the props all of the detail that went into this they literally took a bunch of those notebooks and wrote them all out that was real writing real words wow. it took two months holy to shit. do it which is why i was thinking i was like what is did they raid your apartment <laughs> yeah i know this apartment like is 2500 very... <laughs> notebooks filled with 200 pages of words <laughs> i think somerset says specifically it would take 50 officers reading 24 hours a day two months to read through all of this so it was kind of a reference to that time that it took to make all of this shit. There's, a, there's like a cross with like red neon lights on it. Yeah. It seems really impractical. <laughs> That's where his bed is. Just yeah. like that little bed. And just a really creepy, weird place. Oh, yeah. And it speaks to... A lot to, of square footage, though. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty big. big apartment. It just speaks to the effectiveness of attention to detail and how much farther you get when you're willing to put the time, money, and effort into making things look oh, yeah. real. Because a lot of times, the difference between a good movie and a great movie are details like this. And when you're making your budget for your movie, this is the type of shit that might get cut because you're like, well, this scene isn't that long and right. I'm not in his apartment all that much. Why do we need to spend all this time and money on this? It's like, well, this is the difference between Seven and then, you know, Along Came a Spider or Kiss the Girls, which are like serial killer movies. Similar type of idea. Yeah, this is a classic serial killer movie that didn't win the Oscars that Silence of the Lambs did, but it's certainly on that level. Oh, yeah. Whereas those other movies, you know, are fine and people probably liked them, but no one cares. No one remembers them. They're just run-of-the-mill Except for, like, my mom. And Morgan Freeman was probably in several of those I don't, I she, I don't, he was yeah I don't, both of those like, there was the one with denzel as well I think oh, it was like that, bone, the bone collector. collector yeah morgan freeman was playing alex cross right who was then played by tyler perry in the movie alex cross okay yeah <laughs> which came out way more recently but seven and the bone collector are unrelated i think to the alex cross stuff yes well no i definitely know seven is but i'm pretty sure the bone collector was as well yeah that character is permanently disabled I haven't seen it. He's in a bed the whole movie. Angelina Jolie in the book. Yeah, yeah. Other than the standouts, I I never really was that into the 
the serial killer genre. Not that I didn't like them, but I just didn't, didn't see them. The really. Bone Collector was one of those movies that they were able to get me interested just in name alone. Okay. You know, it was like at a time in my life where I was like, ooh, that sounds scary. <laughs> so inside the apartment, there's a dark room with all these photos, notebooks with all this tiny writing, and Mills finds something developing in the dark room that makes him freak out and call out for Somerset and it turns out it's a picture of him. Oh yeah. He's and, like, We had him. Yeah. We let him John go. Doe was the photographer on the stairs back at Victor's place. The picture shows Mills freaking out, which is funny. Now what do you think about what Morgan Freeman reads from the uh, notebook? The story about him throwing up on <laughs> someone? <laughs> I was like I was like, wow, this really is Zach's apartment. Oh come on. <laughs> How dare you? Well, just talking about this person trying to make small talk with him and how he's just, like, disgusted with the banality of this person. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I I did kind of relate to that. Sure. It's just like, oh, my. I was actually getting annoyed thinking about times people try to talk to me. (laughs) It's just like, shut the fuck up. No fingerprints in the entire apartment. Also weird. And then John Doe calls while they're there, and this is what I was referencing when I said that he was speeding up. He was, like, going to have to improvise a little bit. So essentially, not that we couldn't figure this out already, but they talk again about how John Doe is preaching to the world and the murders are his sermons, which, I mean, is pretty much a given when you're talking sure. about a moralistic serial killer not sure I'd kills off it of that the way, deadly but sins. Yeah. People for years, uh, at least until all of the shitty sequels ruined it, but people would definitely say that the first Saw movie was really great. Yeah. And it had interesting twists. I always was like, it's like a homeless man seven right it felt very much like a moralistic serial killer coming up with these crazy ways to kill people yeah yeah i just never really was that in on it It just felt like a cheap knockoff of this which seemed much more of a real movie yeah but whatever they are able to locate a receipt for wild bill's leather emporium which seemed like a pretty cool store yeah i'd say so and there was also like a picture of a prostitute (laughs) this guy was unfazed by the uh, little contraption that he was asked to make yeah, so they're which brings some questions as to like what else he's made. They're piecing together from this receipt and then this picture of this prostitute. So they go to this Wild Bill's leather place. They find out about this custom order, which you don't get to see yet because right. they're saving that. They reveal. both look at the picture with some degree of shock <laughs> because they know where like, this is headed. Oh boy, I'm not entirely sure. I guess it's because they find the dead woman and they it's yes. the face from the picture. I think they just refer to her as the blonde, right? Right. Yeah. But there's like this underground hooker hotel. This is interesting. Like, what are these places real? Is this, this is something like, that exists in real life? Well, this was definitely something that was certainly memorable to me, like, after the first time I saw it. Yeah. I always carried this with me after seeing it. Okay, so they show up at this place. Lust is carved on the door to the room. This is the fourth sin now. You're like, oh, I know where this is headed. The custom order from Wild Bills was this bladed strap-on dildo. Ugh. You never really see too much, but obviously the implication. It's another one of those things where you're just like, how is this even possible? You know, it just seems so fucked up. So they have a guy put this thing on and he fucks this prostitute with the bladed dildo thing and kills her that way. You think it had an impact on that guy a little bit? (laughs) He's just shaking traumatically. Yeah, that guy, that actor, when they were doing that. To achieve that like look and quality, he stayed up for like a few days straight, and then right before they started recording, he would do this thing where I don't know he would like 
breathe in and out really deeply and just like work himself into like this frenzy. I can't even remember wow. all the stuff he was doing, but he was That's making commitment. it so that he would like lose his breath and all that stuff. Oof. It is a good performance for him. And definitely one of those things where I was just like, yep, this guy seems impacted. <laughs> would this be more effective if they had switched it and the prostitute say- wore the strap on and fucked the guy up the ass and killed him? Yeah. Would that have been I even more shocking? You were going to say, would it have been more effective if he actually just did it? What do you mean? Like the actor really did it. Oh. No, but if they would have just reversed it and had the the woman kill the man, would that have been even more fucked up thinking about or no? I don't know. I mean, e- either way, it's horrifying. Sure, yeah. Just throwing that out there. Right. To like, Takes me it, back to the Bellflower episode. Yeah. You know? What doesn't, though? I, <laughs> a real highlight for this show. I guess to speed things along and to make sure everything is going the way that he wants, John Doe calls 911 on himself, I guess, to report the thing, the next kill, which comes pretty quickly after Lust, and yeah. that's the pride thing. We're moving along at a you know faster pace now. So this girl was a model, and John Doe slashed her face up good. Right. Glued a phone in one hand Oy. and a bottle of pills in the other. Yeah. And Somerset says, basically, call for help and you'll live, but you'll be disfigured, or you can put yourself out of your misery. And she chose putting herself out of her misery because, I guess, the pride in her appearance and the vanity, which all fits under the same thing, I guess. Yeah. Sometimes you hear these seven deadly sins described with different words. Like, sometimes you'll hear vanity or something thrown in or whatever. You'll hear, you know, different variations of the same ideas. Either way, they pull the uh, pillow aside or whatever, and her face is just mutilated. Well, she had bandages on her face. Yeah. That's what it was, I think. Okay. Or was there a there's pillow? There's definitely, like, blo- or, yeah, whatever it is. I mean, there's something covering her face, and they yeah. pull it away. And they do the line here, cut off her nose, just bite her face. face. Detective. After this, I'm Detective. Gone. No big surprise. Detective! You're looking for me. Hey! Put your fucking move on the fucking floor. Get away from him! On the fucking floor! I know you. Now! Get out! Get down! On your stomach, you piece of shit! Now! All the way! All the way, fucker! Down! Faster! Faster! Faster, fucker! Now! Doors on the ground! fuck is this? I'd like to speak to my lawyer, please. God damn it! Unexpectedly, when they return to the police station... Yeah, this is, again, I mean, for me, just a moment that you feel like the movie's moving along at a pace and you're just, like, not expecting this to happen here. Yeah, well, that's the unpredictability of John Doe's plan. In addition to the way that the script was put together. So, like, these beats of... Yeah. Unexpected action. It's like it keeps you on your toes the whole time. And it's like just the characters that exist within the universe of the film. It's like they're always like being caught off guard by everything. Yeah. You know, no one expects like a serial killer to walk in with like bandages on his hands and just (laughs) like covered in blood yelling for the detectives. So this is where it's revealed that our serial killer, John Doe, surprisingly has been played by Kevin Spacey all along. Right. And you're like, Not I should have known from the limp, you know, the usual suspects. Yeah. 
This is our first time, I think, doing a Kevin Spacey movie since all of the weird allegations. We've kind of been walking through the hesitant ra- too. <laughs> We've been like walking through the raindrops somehow with all of the people that have taken a hit in the Me Too era and trying to steer clear of it. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those things where it's like you know. I don't want to spend like too much time talking about it, but it certainly has an impact on like watching things now, because it's just so hard to not be like, oh, it's Kevin Spacey. Yeah, <laughs> there's been a lot of bad news about him. Right. This will not be our last time doing something with Kevin Spacey, and it won't be our last time doing something affected by what's been going on over the last couple of years. I'm of the opinion that things exist in the past and that's just the way that they are and i I don't hold the content of the movies to presentism and i at the same time don't retroactively change my feelings about art that previously existed featuring the work of people that have since gone on to be bad people in some way my feelings on seven aren't really changed now granted spacey is not really in it all of that much until the end well that's and that's kind of one of the great things about the movie though is this reveal and this in him showing up at this point in the movie yeah but i think it's worth mentioning because like i said i i know for sure that we will be doing more topics in the future that are affected by these things and so i guess all you can say is like people that are guilty of doing things you hope that they it is what it pay is the I price mean, for those yeah. things i mean then, condemn the man but it's whatever it doesn't Impact it's funny, movie, though, because yeah. he does have a line to calling Victor a petter ass. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, God. Well, yeah. Come on, Kevin. Hard not to connect the dots there. So that's it. We'll move on from that. John Doe has removed his own fingertips, and so they're unable to find out anything about who he actually is. Right. It's like he's just shown up. All they know is that he's independently wealthy, well-educated, and totally insane. That's what somebody says. Okay, well. There's nothing else to Where did on. all this money come from? We don't know. We don't know anything about him. Right. The masterpiece is incomplete, though. So I think we, as the audience, understand that there is Something's something we are not seeing out there. Yet. Yeah. Something's going to be happening. Right. John Doe wants to take Mills and Somerset and only these two to the last two bodies. Yes. Only at 6 o'clock that very day, if they accept, he will sign a full confession right. and plead guilty, and that will be the end of it. Because the big concern here is, and he's you know threatening that he's going to plead insanity, which I guess like the concern there is that he'll eventually walk someday. But it's like, wouldn't no? You... I mean, he wouldn't walk, but he you know he would get off easier by being sure. able to be in an institution, and right? Not have to go to prison, and just a different mindset of it. I think they feel like they don't have anything to lose by agreeing to this because they've already got him in their. I would say capture. Somerset is definitely more hesitant. You know, yeah, Mills is, of course, is jumping right to go. in. Oh, yeah. But w- another thing that pushes it over is that they identify three types of blood on him right? His own from removing the fingerprints and the woman the that he, his killed. face yeah. is cut up, but like a third unidentified person. So that lends credence to this idea that there's more bodies sure. out there yet to be discovered. And it just so happens that when they go on this fateful mission here, right. it just so happens to be the only sunny day in the whole entire movie. Yes, yes. Which is strange. This sequence, though, heading out to the desert, I mean, just another excellent build. It's just such a great scene, and it's such a long developing scene, and the tension's oh, yeah. building over time. And then, like, having these conversations with him, and Mills having such this confidence that sort of wanes throughout the scene. 
Yeah, and sequence, obviously John Doe is succeeding and getting further and further under his skin. Sure. And he's baiting him. John Doe says something, wanting people to listen, you can't just tap them on the shoulder anymore. You have to hit them with the sledgehammer. Out of the city, it's these train yards and the nothingness and then power lines. And it slowly does devolve into some sort of a desert. Right. You're not really clear on the geography of this place. (laughs) There's this helicopter accompanying them up in the air, providing that sound. But the car ride goes on forever. Eventually, they turn off into this power line area with those like big transformer things or whatever those are all right and so there's nowhere really for the helicopter to land yeah there's this abandoned mobile home they get out of the car and at john doe's direction they start walking out towards nothingness yeah basically eventually you do realize that he's just kind of killing time for something to happen but you don't really know what's going on finally a van starts approaching them off in the distance a panic Right, because they don't know if he's set up some sort of trap, if he's working with other people. Right. It's really becoming apparent that they've walked into this thing not really knowing what could happen. Sure. That they've gotten swept up in this idea of finding these other bodies. Intense scores playing. It's this building of uncertainty. Oh, yeah. For the audience, probably impossible to really predict where this is going. Oh, for sure. Well, especially because it's like... It's taking it to a place where I don't think many movies had gone before. Yeah, I mean, I think we should say, I mean, at this point now, I all mean, of these years later, I think we take the ending for granted now because we know it. And they lay it out there it. for you a little bit, you know, but you just you never really expect this to be the case. What I'm saying, though, is just our perception of this ending now, all these years later, where certainly we all know now what this ending right. is. I mean, the it's ending super- is famous for this yeah and it's been parodied and discussed people and still imitated it, and, yeah yeah everyone Certainly knows it lines but it's just such a bleak ending with movie stars it's just not what you typically see even in r-rated movies because a lot of r-rated movies now seem to be aimed towards children even though they're rated sure, r sure, there's yeah. just there's no chances being taken but there's something also great in this whole sequence about these three actors in these three performances it's like you've got morgan freeman who's kind of been not very emotional through the whole movie yes you've got brad pitt who's been wildly emotional through the whole movie and then you've got kevin spacey who is completely one note deadpan yes and it's all factoring into this final confrontation so somerset goes out to meet the van makes the driver get out He tells him he's delivering a package for Detective David Mills. Right. Somerset begins to open the box while John Doe tells Mills about how much he admires him. And what really sells this dread here is Morgan Freeman's reaction. Right. You know something's bad. perfect because it's not over the top. Sure. He's not like screaming and falling on the ground. Yeah. But he's just reacting violently enough where you know that something horrible is is happening. And from here... The rest of the way, like him w- running back out and when he throws his gun, you know, I'm like, holy shit. You've made quite a life for yourself, detective. Mm. You should be very proud. Shut the fuck up, you piece of shit.
California, stay away from here. Stay away from here now. Don't, don't, don't come in here. Whatever you hear, stay away. John Doe has the upper hand. Mills! Here he comes. What? I wish I could have lived like you, you did. Shut up. What the fuck are you talking about? Do you hear me, Detective? I'm trying to tell you how much I admire you and your pretty wife. What? Tracy. What'd you fucking say? It's disturbing how easily a member of the press can purchase information from the men in your precinct. I visited your home this morning. After you'd left. I tried to play husband. I tried to taste the life of a simple man. It didn't work out. So, I took a souvenir. Her pretty head. Give me your gun. What's going on over there? Put the, put the gun I down. I saw you with the box. What was in the box? Because I envy your normal life. Put the gun down, David. It seems that envy is my sin. No, what's in the box? Not till you give me the what's gun. What's in the fucking box? Give me the gun. He just told you. You lie! You're a fucking liar! Shut up! That's what he wants. He, wa he wants you to shoot him. No! No! You tell me, you tell me that's not true. That's not true. Become vengeance, David. Ah, oh, she's all right. You tell me. Become wrath. Tell me she's all right! You made her a suspect, David. No! Just threw it all the way, you know. No! She begged for her life, Detective. Shut up! She begged for her life. Shut up. And for the life of the baby inside of her. Shut up! Kill him. He will win. Oh, God! Oh, God! Oh! When you first saw the film, did you know what the ending was? No. I feel like I knew already somehow. Yeah. Like somebody told me. Like it was spoiled for me okay. in some way, I, shape, or form. I did not know. And then, you know, once <laughs> he starts saying what it is, you're like, oh, boy. I feel like, unfortunately, for whatever reason, I'm having more and more trouble remembering the first time that I saw a lot of movies because I don't really yeah. specifically remember the first time I saw this movie. Well, old age. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm like Victor. My fucking brain's right. gone to shit. <laughs> I haven't gotten out of bed in a year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
the air fresheners hanging from the ceiling in here. So John Doe says, I'm trying to tell you how much I admire you and your pretty wife, Tracy. That gets Mills' attention for the first time. Right. And we learn that sin number six, which is envy, is John Doe's sin. Somerset has now run back, and Mills is kind of confused, but it's dawning on him. He's asking what's in the box. I think by this point, sure, yeah. John Doe has already told him that he's taken her pretty head. Yeah, that and might be like the very last thing that he says. Well, no, because he talks about the baby. Okay, yeah. That was like the, when he says, like, oh, he doesn't know. Of course, the seventh sin, wrath, is for yeah. Mills to and, kill John well, Doe. Well, I mean, Mills is just basically begging Somerset to tell him that it's not true. Right. And Somerset... Not confirming, but he's just like, look, he wants you to do this. And Mills is like, okay, this isn't really reassuring me. Yeah, the score is just so over the top. It's so crazy. It's building to this moment. The dread and the panic and just Somerset not right easing your pain, and just that, not yeah, saying it. And right. just, like, just being like, if you kill him, he will win. Yes. I love how there's a shot of Tracy like spliced in there for one frame. Oh, yeah. Real quick. Fight Club style, which yep. would you know would be Fincher's later film. I did a slow motion because I knew that it was Gwyneth Paltrow, but it's so fast that right. I, I didn't know what it looked like, and so I wanted to see what it was because I was there was a part of me that was afraid that it was. I'm sure I would have seen it somehow on the internet if this would have been the case, but I was like, is it a shot of her like dead, like with her head cut off? Oh, like wow, I didn't know yeah. what it was, right? Because it's so quick. It's just a picture of her like laying in bed or something yeah, I mean, yeah it's like a normal looking picture it's all white and so it's like flashed in there real fast yeah it's um it's crazy it's pretty bleak mills shoots john doe he mulls it over in. for a minute but it's just like you know what fuck it yeah <laughs> which i admire and they you know the rest of the police eventually converge and, and take mills away Arlie ermy at that point has shown up and he's asking where somerset will be and he's just like i'll be around yeah. Basically implying that he's, he's not, not going to be able to retire yeah. now and everything has gone to shit. They actually added all of this stuff in later. Oh, these extra. The, yeah, the movie was supposed to end with him scenes. shooting him and that was just the end. Yeah. And then he gives that Hemingway quote, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. That was done to kind of compromise with the studio to okay. soften it like wow. a little bit. I don't think it ruins it or anything. It's fine. I mean, just the idea of though Mills like being arrested, it's just like, man, is it dark and sad. Now, in the early days of me being into movies and that coinciding with like the dawn of the internet being prevalent and everything yeah. and reading about stuff online, I read this whole thing one time about a supposed sequel to Seven called Eight. Oh, wow. And it was supposed to like pick up with like Mills being in prison and I don't remember it now, but it seemed long and detailed. And I later realized that this was like an April Fool's thing or something. Oh. <laughs> and it's just funny to me because it was at a time where like it would never have occurred to me that someone would make all of this up. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like what would have been, I would have never even thought that it would be something someone would do. Yeah. Trolls, not as prevalent at that Fake point. news. Yeah. Trolls. Right. I wouldn't have been able to see the purpose, I guess, in tricking people you will never meet or see their reactions. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what would be the point of that? I know. <laughs> I still <laughs> so, don't understand really. The it always it. stuck in my mind for a long time. I was like, oh man, that sounds so terrible. I hope they never do that. And I mean, this was like 2000 and like 
2000. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like that long ago. Years so, later, you were just like, I really hope 8 doesn't come out. <laughs> I'm still worried about it yeah. sometimes. Uh, the only ending to a mainstream big budget Hollywood movie that I even think is somewhat comparable is like the end of The Mist. Oh, yeah. Which is really fucking For grim. sure. I mean, when you talk about most bleak endings to semi-mainstream movies or mainstream movies, I mean, both The Mist and Seven. I mean, it's hard to top those. Yeah, I mean, if we're incorporating the world of, like, lesser-known or indie sure. or smaller stuff, there's plenty of bleak endings. Right. But, yeah, these are huge movies with movie stars in, you know, 3,000 theaters uh, right. opening across the country. And, yeah, Seven is You got to give those special directors thing. credit. You know, Fincher and Frank Darabont being willing to go there. It really established Fincher immediately as a force to be reckoned with. Oh, yeah. You know, when he could get away from directing like another Madonna video or something, <laughs> he would go on to direct a lot of the best movies of the last like 25, 30 years. And it's so crazy because nowadays if if he would have been involved in something like Alien 3, I think it would have been over. But, <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Back then, he just got another chance at it, thankfully, and has really developed in the something special oh yeah and this movie established brad pitt as being someone that guys could think was cool too absolutely which would be furthered in fight club uh, yeah but yeah i mean to this point he was just he would been in true romance hug. but right. i mean yeah. that was just like such a small oh, little yeah. cameo basically but yeah it was legends of the fall and what was the other one uh, that was know. similar to that i don't know bridges of madison county was he in that? i don't know no. i thought that was like uh clint eastwood yeah probably just a very impressive film, memorable. I don't know, running out of positive things to say about sure, it. Sure, yeah. I mean, it is it's just, just a, a great classic. Movie. I mean, there's been times in my life. I mean, obviously, I, I first saw this movie in like 97. So the time between then and now, like, there's been like stretches of time where, like, you know, seven, it's, it's kind of like so famous. There's a lot of hype around it. I'm kind of like over it. You know what I mean? There's been time periods in my life where I didn't really care to watch it. But, like, Every time I do watch it again, I'm just like, man, this is just like such a great movie and stands apart from like so many others. Would it have been better to see the head in the box? Which, I, don't know. I mean, I guess we should say, yeah, in case you people, don't actually see, right? <laughs> well, people who have never seen Seven for some reason are following along on our podcast that we <laughs> yeah, never right. really explained yes. what the ending was. It's like, yeah, her head is in the box, right? People. You don't actually see it. I think you do see a little bit of blonde hair for like I'm talking oh, like a, a strand yeah. of a hair. Can you too. see the box is kind of bloody? No, no, but I know what you mean because I always think that too. But yeah, no, yeah. Okay. it's not. One of the reasons is it's it's too dark and it's better to probably be subtle about that kind of stuff. Sure. Anyway, two seeing it, it probably wouldn't have looked amazing, and right. then you're just like that almost ruins it. In yeah, a way. and I almost I don't know if Fincher would have wanted it to be shown anyway but i do feel like the studio would be like yeah you know i think the idea of it <laughs> is okay yeah and i think it works better not seeing it because it allows your imagination yeah. to put it all together right because if you see it at any point then you confirm it but like it's better to almost to be 90 percent sure that yes. that's what it is right. but then it keeps you know like it's kind of one of those things too it's like yeah you walk out of the theater afterwards and you're like so that was her head in the box, you know, that's kind of, it's kind of inspires that conversation. Pretty head, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> For me personally, like what sat with me afterwards was thinking about the scenes that you don't see. Yeah. Thinking about just the fear that had to have been going through her mind, you know, like him like showing up and right. 
it just sends you down a wild path of like what could have occurred and all of that. Oh yeah. It's so bleak and oh, yeah. horrible. For sure. I mean, I wouldn't put it past someone like Fincher to have cut in that frame and it would have been something fucked oh, up like yeah. that. Right. You know what I mean? To go to the trouble of staging that for a, a picture. Or to, they do the do. thing from Sharp Objects where it hits the credits and then all of a sudden there's like some flashbacks to like Kevin Spacey in the apartment with her or something. <laughs> yeah. Led Zeppelin paying. All right. So that'll do it for seven. I'm sure we'll do more David Fincher down the road. For sure. One of the greats. Always fun to enter that universe. Not really sure we'll ever do anything else with Gwyneth Paltrow again. So we'll do, see. Do we Shakespeare in Love? We're definitely not doing yeah. Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> I don't know. Gwyneth Paltrow is the biggest star who's never been in like anything. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, how, absolutely. What is she known for other than Shakespeare in Love? I don't know. Which I guess she won an Oscar for, right? Uh, Pepper Potts. Yeah. I mean, basically, she's just been Pepper Potts now for the last like however many years. Yeah. But she is a true beauty, one of the greats. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she, she's got to be in stuff. Goop is her thing. That's right. Yeah. Steaming vaginas or whatever <laughs> she does. You know, the weird shit that she comes up with. Okay. It. Yeah. Well, it's exciting. But, I mean, you know, overall scope of our show, I mean, it is just proof that the options are endless because it's like we're, like, into the 100s and we're just doing, like, Alien and Seven. Yeah. You know? Oh, there's literally enough topics for us to keep doing this till we're dead okay all right Which <laughs> so, be so like, next month <laughs> yeah i was gonna say two years but all right follow the show on twitter at greatest pod subscribe on itunes or apple podcasts thank you for listening as we mentioned june will be one trashy summer we'll be having fun with a lot of trashy exploitation yes, type movies that's right classics in Some our of minds our favorites yes That'll be great. So we look forward to having a great summer with you all. And as always, we appreciate you checking in with us and giving For us sure. your time. So we'll see you next time. Close your eyes. Give me your hand, darling. Do you feel my heart beating? Do you understand?
Storm Mrs. Bedford off till we find her dog. Now start thinking, if possible. <laughs> What's the matter with you? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. 